the passages we will be looking at. Um, I have uh, decided to, for the past few weeks and a few weeks ahead, uh, until actual Sunday Funday, uh, to be looking at a bottom line subject, the subject of salvation. You may say, that's so simple, uh, we already know that. It is, and it isn't. But here's what is absolutely true. It is the bedrock. It is the foundation of everything we believe. If you are not solid in what your own salvation, you're not solid in living that salvation out, you will never have a victorious, vibrant Christian life. I pray everyone would leave today challenged. My challenge? If you've never trusted Christ, you need to trust Christ. You're a sinner. You're separated from God. Christ alone died for your sins. There is no other way to heaven except by faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, that you would begin to appreciate and live out what Christ has done for you. Vibrant, victorious Christian living. If you've already been doing those things, and I hope you have been, then you would be confident in the message that you have to give to the world. That person in the, that world might be the person you live with. Might be your neighbor, might be a co-worker, might be any other ministry that you do. God wants us to be reaching out with confidence, living with confidence, and knowing without a shadow of a doubt that Christ is our Savior, heaven is our home. And we have a life that's worth living. I'm going to do a quick repeat. Some of you go, well, you talked about this last week. But this is summertime and the audience does change from day to day in the summertime. So I'm going to do a really quick review of last week. Because if I don't do that, it's going to kind of be disjointed. First of all, we're talking about safe and secure. We're talking about you can know for sure that you're saved. And then you can live with confidence or assurance. You can live out that life. You can live out the salvation that you have. We're looking at what happened when we trusted Christ. First of all, we're safe and secure. Salvation looked at objectively. The Gospel of John basically says this. If you believe, you have eternal life. It's a transaction between you and God. You're safely out of danger. Just the other day, somebody told me as I was teaching on this subject, that's dangerous doctrine. Literally, they didn't mean that in a good way. They meant that in a negative way. What you're teaching is dangerous. I agree. I agree. You know why? Because it's dangerous to the kingdom of Satan. He loses when we live in security. Absolutely. On the other hand, it's dangerous, and a lot of people look at this way. I used to use the term, once saved, always saved. You're never going to hear me use that except in this way. Simply this. Because it has a connotation that you can trust Jesus Christ and then live however you want. Trust Jesus Christ and live like the devil and you've still got a fire escape from hell and you're going to heaven. You know what? That is not a biblical teaching. Security in Christ, assurance and confidence in our salvation, knowing that Christ's work is a finished work and there's nothing can be added or taken away from it, absolutely biblical. But the concept that you can just 
trust Christ, and then Christ doesn't have anything else to say about your salvation, do whatever you want. I know what the rest of the scripture says. It says that every person will be held accountable. I'm sorry, every Christian will be held accountable for what he does with his salvation. If you don't believe me, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says a number are weak and a number are sick and a number sleep. Why? Because as it were, he'll bunch us, take us out of the game and actually take us out of life. He has the right to do that. He is a perfect father who disciplines his children. That's Hebrews chapter 12. But you can find that other places. In Peter it says, be ye holy as I am holy. There is no such thing as someone says, okay, I just don't want to go to hell. I just want to go to heaven and then I want to do whatever I want. The Bible will never let you there because guess what? I tried to be a good father raising my children, but he's a perfect father. And he doesn't let his children get away with just doing whatever they want. He disciplines us as any good father would do. But we are safely out of danger. This is a position that has been given me in my salvation. Just remember... You can answer out loud. How much did you contribute to your salvation? Nothing. There is no other answer. Nada. Zip. Nothing was contributed by. All you could do for salvation is receive by faith what Christ has done for you. First, uh, John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, the born ones of God, That is to those who believe on his. Who didn't contribute a single thing to your salvation. It was all done by Jesus Christ on the cross when he shed his blood and died for our sins. When we trust him, we have been given a position. We're going to talk about that the rest of the morning. And then it says, I can have a defense. Against any loss of salvation resulting that I know that I can't lose it. And if I know that I have it, I'm going to live that way. Listen, there are probably people in this audience today, and they're all over the place. I hope it's not you, but if it is, I hope you change your mind today. Is they go through life thinking, I, I gotta make sure I do this or don't do that, because if I do, I'll lose my salvation. And guess what? They never get past the foundation. I used to work construction. We tried to put in really good foundations because if the foundation cracks and moves, the whole house is gone. It all cracks. It all moves. It's unsafe and unstable. Do you know what? As much as I like a firm foundation, I don't live on the foundation. I live in the house. And that's our salvation. The foundation needs to be sure and secure, but I live in the house. That's what church is about. That's what fellowship and encouragement and Bible teaching and growing as a Christian is about. Of course, I already mentioned the Gospel of John emphasizes that over and over again. But the second part is the experiential part. It's the confidence that I have. It's subjective. You see, even if I'm saved and I am not living out what Christ has done for me, I'm not walking worthy as First Corinthians, I mean, Colossians chapter 1 says, if I am not living out my salvation, I will never know it to the fullest, and I will be insecure. And I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to be a miserable person. I've said it before, and I'll say it a hundred times again. 
The most miserable person in the world is not an unsaved person. They're naive and they don't know any better. They have never tasted of the great things God has for them. The most miserable person in the world is one who is actually truly born again, saved, but not living that way. They're miserable because the Holy Spirit is tugging them in this direction, bringing conviction in this direction, and they're living over here. And now they've got a huge battle going on in their life. They're miserable. That may be you. If it is, don't leave here that way. Because God wants you to know for sure and he wants wants you to live it out. And it brings that experiential confidence. You're going to see the last point here is the book of 1 John uses a different word for the word know. It's gnosko. It means to know by experience. And when I live out, walk in the light of what Christ has done for me, in the position that I have in Him, I gain confidence. It's a huge part of growing as a Christian. Becoming strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Living it out to the fullest. Walking in a way that honors God. And let's face it, if it honors God, it's beneficial to me and everybody else that comes in contact me with me is going to benefit from that. Because my life is going to be a testimony to everyone else. It's going to be helpful to them. It's experiential. It is progressive truth. It is the foundation and then building, 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 building on top of it. That's progressive. It doesn't mean you get more and more saved. It simply means you live out what's already true of you. And it is the freedom from doubt and fear and anxiety. I can remember, I, I said this last week, is for the first several months after I got saved in 1973, it was like this. And then the first verse where you've turned to already in John chapter 5, verse 24, I memorized that. And it hit me one night. It was a Wednesday night. It hit me. It's like, whoa, that's what I did. That's what's true of me. And I have never looked back since. Simply because I began to appropriate what was true. And I didn't doubt my salvation. I wasn't having the anxiety and the fear that I had. Saved today or am I not saved today? I knew it. There was no doubt. I knew I had trusted Christ and I knew what he said and I believed what he said and applied it to my life. And as a result, I'm not going to tell you I've always done this, but a vibrant, victorious Christian life. But if I'm always wondering, am I going to lose my salvation? I better do this so I don't lose my salvation or I better do this so I keep my salvation. You know what? You're never going to grow. You're going to be miserable. You'll it's, it's just a miserable place to be. As I already mentioned, First John is where that comes. We already looked at what happened to us when we got saved. He forgave our sin. Didn't cover it over like the Old Testament. He forgave, took it away, dismissed it, subtracted it from our lives. If sin is gone, I don't need to go back and have my sin forgiven again as an unbeliever. As a believer, I need to confess my sin on a regular basis whenever I sin. But he forgives us on the basis of that our sin has already been forgiven on the position. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's based on that I've already been forgiven and I'm going back and claiming what is true. But it requires me to change my mind and confess it. It also says that he has made us new people. 
We're not the same as we were. A huge change has taken place. In fact, this is as new things have come. The most major thing that, that's a part of that is I now have a new nature. A nature I did not have before, one given to me by God. I have been redeemed. The full, total, and complete price of my sin has been paid. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, positively nothing can be added to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I already asked you, what did you contribute to your salvation? The answer is nothing. Because there was a complete price paid for my sin. There's nothing that could be added. In fact is, if you tried to add something to it, you would simply mess it up. And there are a lot of people that try to add to that. Any person that says, well, I believe you have to trust Jesus Christ and or but anything that follows is a problem. Because I've had people, I've used this illustration before, well, you need to trust Jesus Christ and keep the Ten Commandments. Nobody has ever been able to quote me more than six of them. And I'm saying, if you're dependent on that, you're in bad shape. Brian was with me one night, we did that. You know what? The truth of the matter is, I don't care what you put in there. Trust Christ and live a good life. I guarantee you, before you get home today, you will blow it. Whether it's by actions or by your attitude or whatever, you will blow it. It's just the way it is. If it's, you, well, you just put anything in there. I'm not going to dwell on that. The price for me has already been paid. And now we're where we're at today. If you, this is a verse that I memorized, uh, well, it's almost 40 years ago now. It says in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Here's how most people read that verse. I hope you don't. And I hope after today you never have this in mind. Here's how they read it. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has temporary life. I would never read it that way. But up here you do. In your heart, sometimes you do. You know what? Eternal means exactly what it means. Other places in the Bible it says, those that do not trust Christ will be in the lake of fire, we usually call that hell, forever and ever. The smoke of their torment goes up day and night, forever and ever. They're eternally lost. We say, yeah, that's true. We don't believe like the cults do that eventually you burn up or go into nothing, annihilation. Or eventually your sins are burned off in purgatory and then you can go to heaven. No, the Bible doesn't teach any of those kinds of things. It says forever and ever you are separated from God. Eternally separated from God. On the other hand, it says here, if we believed in Jesus Christ, we are eternally with Him. We have eternal life. Guess what kind of life that is? That's God's kind of life. Now, God is eternal in a different way than we are. He is eternal past tense as well as in the future. We have a beginning, so we can only have eternal in the future. God is eternal in both directions. But God gives us his life, and it's eternal life. It's not temporary life. It's not life dependent on something else. It's something that God has given us. There's no other way you could get it. And it says we don't come into judgment. That is, we don't. And we're going to look at the word condemnation at the end of the sermon. But we don't come back into judgment as to our sin and our standing before God. 
But what it says is, but has passed out of death. By the way, death is always has to do with. Oh, okay. Death, all, by the way, that was correct. Death always has to do with separation. Spiritual death is separation from God. Lie to your friends, you're going to have death to that relationship because you're going to separate you. Sin separates. Okay? So here's where we are. But has passed out of death, separation from God, into life. God's kind of life. And the way this is written in Greek, the word passed out is perfect tense. You don't need to know all this. All it simply means is by one act, it has full and complete consequences for as far as you can go. Yeah, that's it. It happened once, full consequences, full effects for the future. Passed out. It's done. Something new has come. Life. That's this verse. It's not eternal. I mean, it's not temporary. It's eternal. Don't mix it up. Don't mix it up. You would say, I would never read it with temporary in there. But in thinking it through, that's what we do. Just like trust Jesus plus or and or but. It's not, I got saved and now I know I'm secure, but or and. No, none of those things. It's what God has given us, his kind of life. I already mentioned this several times in several different ways. But in John chapter 14, verse 6, and most of you know this by heart, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, but no one comes to the Father, but through me. I can't even quote it now. What's wrong with me? I am the way. I'm the pathway. I am the direction that you go. I am the truth. And I know the word of God is true, but he is the truth. The word of God tells us about him. And then it says, I am the life. We already looked at the word life. It's his kind of life. It says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Remember, you didn't do anything to earn your salvation, to pay for your salvation. You didn't do anything. It's all in Jesus Christ. And if he's done it all, think about this. You would have to to lose your salvation, to not be secure in your salvation. You would have to undo a perfect, finished, complete work that Christ has done. Christ is God. He doesn't do things by the half. He doesn't do them imperfectly. He does them absolutely perfectly. To lose your salvation, you would have to undo the perfect work of Christ. He said, nobody comes to the Father but through me. Continuing on, we have a new citizenship. I'm glad I'm a citizen of the United States. But you know what? I have dual citizenship. Not another country. The day I trusted Christ, I became a citizen of heaven. And I have to tell you, and you know it from the book of Acts... The apostles said, we must obey God rather than man. Now, he is not saying be a rebel or an anarchist here in this world. That's not it at all. But if the the world, our system, our country tells us to do something that is immoral, unethical, or unbiblical, we have to obey God above and beyond. That's just the way it is. We are dual citizens as Christians. 
We answer to a higher authority. In fact, as in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, and then I don't have one of them up here. We're going to look at it. But it says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice there is a change of citizenship. We came from darkness. We'll talk about that in a second. And we have been transferred to a new kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. Of course, that's Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul, when he was giving his testimony at his trial, he said this. Very interesting. It takes the same concept, but he switches a few things. And this is Acts chapter 26, verse 18. It says that his, he said that his job given to him by God was to take people from darkness to light. And then he goes on to say, from the dominion of Satan to God. He just simply says, talk about the dominion of darkness. That's Satan's dominion. And yes, your children and you and your grandchildren and whoever else it is, we're all born in that domain. That's where we're born. Sorry, I know your grandchildren are precious and those little ones are precious. But you know what? Sorry, they were born with a sin nature. They were born in the wrong kingdom. And the only way you can be out of that kingdom is you need to be transferred out. And that's by trusting Christ. That's it. That's what this is teaching. And it says from the domain of Satan to God. Here it says the kingdom of his beloved son. What God is doing is giving us a change of citizenship, adding to it. In fact, is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a new citizenship. I have a new allegiance. I believe in citizenship. If you're a citizen of the United States, you ought to be a loyal citizen. If you're a citizen of another country, you ought to be a loyal citizen. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your citizenship is dual. You have a higher citizenship. In fact is, in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. You know what an alien is? Somebody that's temporarily here. We may have aliens in the uh, um, congregation this morning. You're temporarily in the United States, but you're a citizen someplace else. An alien is also someone who is simply passing through. There are lots of songs. Some of the old Negro spirituals and some other songs are written about this concept. We're just a passing through. You know what? That's true of every Christian. You're just passing through. This world is temporary, but the citizenship that we have is an eternal citizenship. It's given to us, and it doesn't end. It's continuous for the rest of of eternity, we're a part of God's kingdom. The next one is one that is one that's kind of fun to deal with. Because it says something different than we usually think about. We think, if you just hold on to God hard enough, you'll make it through. The illustration I like to use here is, and my kids maybe don't remember this, because when we did this with our children, uh, they were pretty small. We went across a busy street. We never said, hey, we're going across the street. Hey, I don't know about your kids, but our kids dilly-dallied around and did everything that they weren't supposed to do. And if you start going around, you'd have kids smashed on the side of the pavement somewhere. We'd say, 
hold on to our hands and we'll take you across. No, we never did that either. Because I know what they're like. You start going, they let go. They're back there and you're out here and you're moving. We'd say, grab a hold of my hand and we grab the hold of their hand. In fact, is I remember already, Faye and I, this is before we had a bunch of kids, is we would take that one kid and... One would have a hold of one hand, one would have a hold of the other hand. I can remember literally dragging them across. We weren't abusing our kids. But, you know, their feet weren't even touching the ground when they went across because we were going across a busy street. You know what? That's what this is talking about. It's not talking about, if we hang on, we'll make it to the end. That is not it at all. That is not this concept. Let's read it. You've probably already read it. You do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. As Christians, nobody is beating us to do the right thing. But we know the voice of the Savior, the great shepherd who died for our sins. We follow him. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what he says happens. And I give them eternal life. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. Notice those words that are used there. Eternal life, never, means never. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Now, Jesus is speaking. He says, you know what? I don't care. If my child is there and I have a hold of his hands, you're not getting them. Okay? If I'm going across the street, they're going with me. But it doesn't stop there. Look at this. This is why I use the two hands thing. It simply says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Now, I'm not going to be real technical here. They got both of your hands. <laughs> God the Father's on one side, and He's got a hold of you. God the other side, and He's got a hold of you. And it doesn't simply mean here that God the Father is greater. God the Son is God also. He is equal in every way to God the Father. They have different roles, different positions, but they're both equally God. But think about this. God the Son's got a hold of you. God the Father's got a hold of you. I'll tell you what, there's security in that, folks. There's no way to get around it. I'm not holding on. I might be, but the real issue is they're holding on to me. That's the important thing. And we need to understand that. Because when you know you have security, then you can live that way. Without that, you'll never live that way. We're also in the position of being adopted. Now, this is not the exact same word that we use for adoption today. There are similarities. No one is ever adopted into God's family. You're born into God. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're born into God's family. But the moment that you were born into God's family, you were adopted. The similarities are this. It's because if you adopt a child, they now have full rights to inherit everything that's yours. Everything that is yours, everything that would be to a natural child, is now also theirs. Doesn't matter if they were literally born of you and your spouse. They're full heirs of everything that's yours. Legally, in every other way, they are. They're just simply not your blood. In this case... Only those that are born into God's family are adopted. Here's how it works. Is they're placed as adult sons. Full heirs. 
It says that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Here's what it worked like in the Roman days when this was written. Half of the population of Rome were slaves. And a slave in that case was not somebody that worked in a cotton field someplace. They were doctors and lawyers and managers and bankers, you name whatever it was. And they also were child teachers. They were educators. And as long as that son was under a slave, they had to do what the slave said. But the moment they were placed as an adult son, it switched the next day. That young person could now tell the slave what to do. And that's what this is. Adult sons. When it says at the next verse, it says, Abba, Father, not being trivial here, but basically it's a term of endearment. Daddy. God is not just my Father who's up there in heaven someplace. We sang a song, not only are we sons, and I really appreciate that, Will, but friends also. But this is even closer than that. We're like a close fellowship with our Father. My kids don't call me daddy. They call me pop. They got that from, we call my dad that. I don't know where that comes from, but somewhere along the line. But that's a term of endorment. Closeness of relationship. And then it goes on. to uh, There's some other verses, but I'm running out of time. So we'll just skip those for the moment. But continuing on. Because we know, have no condemnation. Now this is not talking about, and I mentioned this before, that we don't answer for what we do. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we have to answer for the deeds done in the body, whether worthwhile and worthless. That is not a quote, that's a paraphrase. But simply this, as a believer, as a son of God, as a <clears throat> child of God, <clears throat> excuse me, too much tractor pull yesterday. As a son of God, having a heavenly father, he holds us accountable. We have to answer for what we do as a Christian. That's where I started with. It's like, oh, no, it's not a fire escape from, from hell and I'm going to heaven. No, he's a perfect father. I tried to be a good father, not a perfect father. My kids are here. They will testify to that. But you know what? He's a perfect father. Hebrews said, Hebrews chapter 12 says, as any father would do, he disciplines his children diligently. Because that's his job. That's his responsibility. And uh, I already quoted from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> that, you know, he's a strict father too. But there's no condemnation as to our position in Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? All the condemnation was paid for. Where did the condemnation come from? The law. The law kills. Just in case you're thinking about still keeping the law to stay saved or to get saved. All the law could do is bring death. The law is a minister of death. If you don't believe that, go back and read 2 Corinthians again. <clears throat> Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. 
the law of separation. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, doesn't say it was bad, it just says it couldn't do this. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Our condemnation was taken. And when you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it's exactly what it means. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. If you read the end of chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, what shall I do with this body of death? The next verse is, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. See, if you've never trusted Christ, you don't know this. You're still feeling condemned, and every time it's like, oh boy, I'm in big trouble with God. But when you've trusted Christ, it's not, okay, now I can do whatever I want. It's like, no, God's going to hold me responsible, but I'm still a son. I'm still a child. I'm still forgiven, but I need to live that out. We're going to be talking about how you live that out in the next sermons. But one other thing, and this is the one I'm going to end with this morning. We have God's righteousness. Now, if you didn't agree with any of the rest of them, you had a hard time with them. This one here nails it shut. Because here's what it says. It says, he made him. By the way, let me put the, uh, the, the names in there. There's a lot of pronouns there. God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God the Father in Jesus Christ. We might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Righteousness always has to do with meeting a standard of righteousness. Here's what happened is when you trusted Christ, the righteousness of God was added to your account. You may have trusted Christ many years ago, but you didn't realize that the account has been paid in full and there's money in the bank. You haven't written out any checks spiritually to live that way. What happened is all the righteousness and right standing that I need with God is already Paid for, in full, in the account. The sermons in the future are, how do I withdraw from that account and live on a progressively more mature, stronger, strong in the Lord, and the power of His might? How do I live that way? How do I live in the wisdom of God? How do I grow as a Christian? That's where we go from here. In Romans, Romans chapter 1, it says, the, and, and this is a quote from the Old Testament. The just, the one who has already been made righteous, shall live by faith. How do we live? How do we live the Christian life? Because we know that we have a right standing with God. And as a ba- on the basis of that, I live in the future on that righteousness. In that righteousness. Why? Because it's been credited to my account. I have a bunch of other verses here that we're not going to get to in Romans, and you can go back and look at this over and over again. The Apostle Paul says, here's your standing in Christ. You were, you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you have the newness of life. You were raised with Christ. That's Romans chapter 6. That's what he wants us to do. That's how he wants us to live. So it's not, hey, I just got saved and I'm not going to hell, so I'm going to heaven, so live like the devil every day. I'm telling you, you're in trouble with God and you've got a miserable life and I don't need to explain that to you. Because you already know what it's like. Because you've got a battle going on in your life. I hope you live here to, leave here today saying, wow, what a great salvation. 
And I appreciated, I was listening to the song, we, we sang hymns in the early service, and they all, I picked those out, and I knew they went with my sermon. Will and I didn't collaborate on this, and I was listening to those words, redemption, and all those words, and I'm like, wow, that's what we celebrate. We come here on a Sunday morning, we celebrate the bottom line foundation, but we don't stop there, we live in the house. We live in the fullness of our salvation in that fully equipped, luxurious salvation that we have. That's what he wants for us. Is there an amen? Amen. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, thank you so much that you have given us everything in Jesus Christ. Lord, if I contributed one little tiny thing, my salvation would be totally insecure. But I didn't have a thing to do with it. All I could do was accept it. Lord, I pray if anyone is here today and they, have, they just don't know if they're saved or they know they're not saved, I pray that right now they would just cry out the Lord, to the Lord from their heart and just recognize their sinfulness, recognize that only Jesus Christ paid for their sin and would ask Him to forgive them and take over their life. For those that have trusted Christ, I pray that we would live it out to the fullest. We would walk worthy of what Christ has done for us. And then, Lord, that our message, our life, our testimony, our ministry would be a ministry that shows that confidence, that shows that salvation through us. And others would not only hear the words, but they would see it lived out in our lives. Lord, thank you so much for what you're going to do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless. Go with God.